All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you that we get to be here this morning. Thank you for the truth of that song. That we uh, come and die and find that, that we truly live in Christ. What an amazing thing your grace is. Uh, salvation, life, forgiveness freely offered to us in Christ. What an amazing thing. Help us to grasp that this morning. Help us to think about that, to meditate on that this morning, Lord. Father, I pray for your blessing on our time. Thank you that you've given us your word that guides us, that tells us truth. I pray that we would understand it well today, that we would pay attention to it well today, and that we would walk away in obedience to what your word says today. Thank you for your spirit also, the spirit whom you've given to each of us who knows you. And he does all manner of things in our lives. He convicts us of sin. He helps us to understand your word, the things freely given to us by God. And he empowers us for ministry. He empowers us for life. He works sanctification, your word says, into our lives that we would become more like your son because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing. And we will uh, have him, we will have him within us, indwelling us as a seal forever, as a guarantee for eternity. So we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives. And this morning as we get to come together and, and gather, we get to be a community of faith gathered into a room to talk about you and to encourage each other. I pray for your blessing. Lord, I pray that you would be lifted up. I pray that we would be drawn more closely to you, that we would be drawn to uh, follow you more closely, that we would love you, that we would be amazed by what you have done for us, and uh, and that we would... Um, remind each other of that and remind ourselves of that and live in light of that. Lord, uh, strike us this morning with how awesome your grace and your mercy are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a handout in your bulletin there, and you'll see I only gave you one side for notes and not a whole lot of room. So I hope you have a sharp pencil and can write small. That was on purpose, though. <clears throat> First place I'd like you to turn is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Oddly enough, you'll probably find that on page 1 of your Bible. You know, many of you may know, but uh, I like to exercise. I like to work out. There, there was a time when I didn't, and I, I figured out that I, I needed to start running, and so... Uh, the best thing for me to do in order to start running was to tell Alman Yos, hey, I want to start running. And that's all it took. <laughs> he pestered me and pestered me until I started running. And so sure enough, I did. Well, I've, I ran for a while. I've done various things and stuff. Well, now I, I, I really enjoy doing CrossFit. And probably many of you have heard of CrossFit, and you've probably looked and seen that they're those insane people who do insane things, and then they... Uh, some of them vomit after they do it. So I, I've never done that, and I've never been around anyone who did that. But uh, anyway, I like to do CrossFit, and, and it has nothing to do with the cross. That's a sad thing. The first time I ever heard about it, I thought, there's a, a Christian workout community. It's CrossFit. That's so great. No, it really doesn't intentionally have anything to do with the cross, and so I was kind of mistaken there. But, but um, people who do CrossFit love CrossFit. And they talk about it a lot. And one of the things that they talk about that really struck me, it started maybe a year ago, maybe a little bit more, I really was struck by how much CrossFitters talk about community. 
the community, the community that they have within CrossFit. And yeah, they love working out and they love that they're getting in shape and they, they love all that kind of stuff. But again and again, the word they use to describe what they love and, and what keeps them coming back again and again is community. And I thought that's kind of a weird thing, you know, to make you go work out is community. But the more I thought about it, the more it really struck me as being sort of biblical. It's sort of biblical. And we'll, we'll talk about why I think that's biblical. Not that CrossFit is biblical. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, but that community that, that they, uh, they tap into and that they love and that they talk about so much and they recognize as being so important and so motivational for them, that's a biblical thing. That's a biblical thing. And so I want to talk about that quite a bit this morning. The title of our sermon today is The, Re- the Redeemed Community. The Redeemed Community. And so I'm not talking about CrossFit. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about believers, people who know Christ. And so um, I want to start off by defining community a little bit. And, uh, you know, I looked, I looked on various Christian websites and, and looked at trying to look for a definition of the word community, and they use the word copiously, but they never define it. I thought that was very strange, probably because everybody knows what it is, right? And here I was the only guy having to look up what it meant. So this is the definition that, that I came up with that I found, okay? A group, ah, that's a good start, a group sharing common characteristics or interests, community, common, okay, a group sharing common characteristics or interests and perceived or perceiving itself as distinct in some respect from the larger society in which it exists. So it's a group of people who have certain things in common that in their own minds, set them apart from the society around them, or in the minds of other people, set them apart from society around them. So that's community. It's, it's us having things in common. You think of a commune, which because of the 60s and 70s have some bad connotations, but commune, having things in common, right? That's what com- community, communal means, common. We have things in common, and it's things that we value, uh, even characteristics of who we are. And so with that kind of loose definition in your mind of what community is, let's take a look at uh, the community of three in one. The community of three in one. Now, we're going to talk about Trinity a little bit. A brief case for the Trinity is what I've, what I've entitled this. And it's, it's brief because you'll notice it's one point. <laughs> and, you know, if I were to make a real big, thorough case for the Trinity, we would be here a long time. And, and, uh, but this is a brief case. Okay. So it's, it's, it's going to be one point in our outline here. Um, the Trinity, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. That shouldn't surprise anybody, but maybe it does. The Trinity is a word that is not found in the Bible, but that shouldn't bother us, okay? Let's, uh, let's look at some things that are true, okay? First of all, the Father is God, okay? The Father is God. Genesis 1-1, you're looking at page 1 of your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And starting with that verse and throughout all of Scripture, you will have affirmed again and again and again that the Father is God. Okay, that shouldn't surprise us. The Father is God. Well, flip over to Colossians chapter 2. Okay, we've got it firmly in our mind that the Father is God. God, the Father, the Father is God. Now flip over to Colossians chapter 2. Let's talk about the Son. Let's see what the Bible says about the Son. Colossians chapter 2. And verse 9 says, for in him, 
who is he there? Who's the him? It's Christ. The last word of the previous verse, right? For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What's that saying? That's saying the son is God. Okay, so now we have the father is God. And here we have the son is God. We see that affirmed throughout the New Testament particularly, okay? So we have those two. Now, uh, let's flip back to Acts chapter 5, and we'll look at the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5. These are good verses for you to write down, by the way, because if someone asks, hey, does the Bible really teach that uh, there's such a thing as a trinity, and where does it say that, that Jesus is God? Colossians 2.9 is an excellent one, right? Uh, now we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Now, this is a story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? And you remember they, they sold a piece of land and then they kind of, you know, did a little lying about the value of the land and stuff like that. And so it was, a, it was a, big, a big problem. It ended up resulting in their death, right? It's a scary, scary thing. But if you look at Acts chapter 5 and you look at, let's see, you look at verse 3, right? Peter is talking to Ananias and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land to lie to the Holy Spirit? Okay, so it's clear that we're talking here about the Holy Spirit. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit and it's going to result in certain consequences. Well, then look at verse four. And while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And he said in the verse before, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You see the equation? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. Okay, so the two tell us that the Holy Spirit himself is God also. So we saw that the Father is God. We saw that the Son is God, Colossians 2.9. We saw here in Acts chapter 5 and in other places, by the way, that the Holy Spirit is God. Well, flip back. This will really bake your noodle. Flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Who said theology wasn't fun? Let's solve this one, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, I, I always say this is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. This is the verse. This is the definitive verse for Old Testament theology, for Jewish theology, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Okay, we've been talking about the Lord our God, right? The Lord is one. But wait a minute. We just looked at the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And here we looked and said, no, the Lord is one. How can those be true? I don't know, but they are. There are not three gods. There is one God, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Well, is the Father God? Yes. What about the Son? We looked at Him. Yes, He's God. What about the Holy Spirit? He's God also. They are three persons in one God. Okay. That's a brief case for the Trinity. I can't, I can't do much better, frankly, at explaining it than that. That Scripture affirms throughout the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and there is one God. Okay, Scripture affirms that throughout and does not seem to see any problem with that. Scripture doesn't. In my mind, it, it's difficult. 
It's impo- I, I haven't understood it yet, and I, I've tried. I'm not the smartest guy around, and there are many smarter people than me who've really tried to understand it. But Scripture consistently affirms it. Consistently affirms it. All right, so that's a brief case for the Trinity. All right. Now, let's look at a couple places where the Trinity is acknowledged. All right. Let's look at uh, just in the book of Matthew, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 3. Okay, this is the baptism. The baptism of Jesus. We're in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, so we have uh, John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And there's some conversation between them. And then he consented, the end of verse 15, and then, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, so Jesus, the Son, when he was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So here you have in one place Jesus, the Son, And you have the Holy Spirit coming down to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven. Whose voice do you think that is? That's the Father's voice saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so in one place, you have the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father speaking to him. Right? In one place. In one place. So the Trinity is not just one guy acting like three different people at three different times. The Holy Spirit is not the son and the son is not the father and the father is not the holy spirit and yet the father is god and the son is god and the holy spirit is god so here you have an instance of the three being in one place so to speak in one time now let's look at the end of jesus ministry matthew 28 the end of his ministry as recorded here in matthew matthew 28 We've had a few baptisms this summer, so we've read this verse quite a bit. We should read this verse quite a bit anyway. This is Jesus speaking. We'll start in verse 18. And Jesus came and he said to them, to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So it's clear from Jesus' teaching there that he is... He is putting them all on an equal plane with one another. It's not the Father and then, oh yeah, you know, some stuff with the Son and the Spirit. It's the Father and the Son and the Spirit on an equal plane with one another. Again, emphasizing uh, the fact that they uh, are three persons of the one God. All right, point three. Significance for us. Significance for us. Well, there are many, many points of significance for us on the Trinity. Many of them doctrinal, and I'm not going to zero in on those today, but the Trinity is a, is a crucial, essential teaching in Scripture. Uh, for example, if, if Jesus himself, if he is not God, if the Son is not God, then we are still in our sins. Okay, that's pretty important doctrinal distinction. Right? So if I don't believe that Jesus is God, then I believe he is inadequate ultimately to pay for my sin and your sin. So it's very important that we stick with the biblical teaching that Jesus, the Son, actually is God. That's one significance. That's a doctrinal significance. But I I, I want to think about a a different kind of significance for us, right? Think about this. God has always existed in community. God has always existed in community. Have you ever thought about that? 
The Father and the Son and the Spirit have had a relationship forever. Forever. There has been community. There's always been interpersonal connections because God is three in one. He's always existed. And so community, the community that exists within the Godhead has always existed. It's eternal. All right. So hold that in your mind for a second. Let's go to point two. Flip over to Genesis chapter one. Back to page one. It might be on page two in your Bible in this one. Genesis chapter one. We already read verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now we're going to look at verses 26 and 27. This is when it comes to talk more specifically about us, right? Then God said, let us make man, interesting, let us, kind of some evidence there, some, some hint that uh, maybe the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are speaking to one another. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we have been created in God's image. What does that mean? Does he look like us? Well, then which of us does he look like? Well, that's not the case. God is spirit. So he doesn't look like us, but we're created in his image in some way. And there, there are various ways uh, in which that's true. One way is that we were created to be his image bearers to represent him on the earth. God can't be contained in physical creation, but he makes this creation and then he takes man and puts man in it to portray God to the rest of creation. Make sense? We're his image bearers. We show forth what God is like within creation. In that, in that sense, we are created in, in His image. There's another sense. Uh, in showing forth God, what God is like to creation, we also have bear certain resemblance to Him in our makeup. Maybe it's our personhood, right? Maybe it's the fact that we, are, uh, we consist of mind, emotion, and will, right? We, we're capable. That's kind of how we define personhood a little bit, right? Maybe that's how, uh, how we are created in God's image. But I want to think about this also. If, if God, by definition, has existed in community forever and we are created in his image, what does that mean for me and community? And what does that mean for you and community? I think it has some very special significance. Let's hold that thought in mind. And let's go on to point B. Just probably the next page in your Bible, chapter 2. Chapter 2, this is sort of a retelling of the creation of, uh, of man. Here we are in chapter 2, and we're going to look just at verse 18 in Genesis. Uh, chapter 2, it's on page 2 in my Bible. 2.18. So again, this is sort of a retelling, a, a closer examination of the creation of man. Then the Lord said, right, he had already created Adam and put him in the garden, and he was naming animals, right? He already had a job. And he was, uh, he was seeing that, hey, there was, a, uh, there was a, a male giraffe and a female giraffe. And, and he saw there was a male hippo and a female hippo. And he was naming all these animals. And they came by, right? And he was noticing uh, they always come in pairs. And then the Lord said, verse 18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him, suitable for him. Something was missing when Adam, who was sinless man was on this earth, what, what could be lacking? 
What could be lacking? Well, there was something lacking in relationship. First of all, he couldn't, there, there could be no subsequent humans without him having a wife, right? It would be Adam always, <laughs> right? So there would be no race of mankind if it, if it weren't for God creating the woman for him. But also, if you think about the fact that God has always existed in relationship, and here man exists and there's no relationship, something's missing. Something's missing. Right? There's something lacking there. And so God solves that by bringing the woman and giving the woman to him. Right? Adam needed that community for various reasons. Point C, the significance for us. People's longing for community, and you can look around the world and see that. You can look at your neighbors and see that they long for community. You can look at CrossFit and see that they long for community. They long, their longing for community and for connection with others is not merely an issue of desire, but it's built into who we are as humans. So when CrossFitters who don't know the Lord are always talking about community, they're tapping into something that's, that's real. That's a real need. It's not just really cool that they have that. It's an actual essential part of who they are that they have community. And if you find a person who has no community, there's something wrong. And there's something off, and you can tell. Community is essential for us. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you would. We're going to spend a bit of time here. We're going to look at the community of the redeemed. 1 Peter. So you're flipping right. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. going to read verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2. So this is Peter talking, writing to Christians. He says, verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. When Peter wants to describe Christians... When he writes to Christians to talk about who they are, he describes them in these terms, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. What do you notice about all of those words? Each of those nouns is a group noun. It's a community noun. It's not an individual noun. It's not about an individual. It's about a group, right? He didn't say, you are royal priests. He could have, that's true, but he didn't. He said, you're a royal priesthood. Group term, group term. It doesn't say that they are people. It says that they are a people. You catch the difference there? You're all people, but we are a people, a group, a community of people. He doesn't say that they are citizens of a holy nation. He says they are a holy nation. You catch the difference there? It's not an individualistic thing. He's not talking about you and you and you and you. He could, and in other places in the Bible, we see those things. But here he's talking about the corporate nature of being a Christian. We are a priesthood. It's not just that we are priests, but we are a priesthood. 
Christians exist as a community. Well, let's keep reading and see uh, why did God form us into community. We read the first part of 9 there, that uh, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you may proclaim the purpose of this community, the community of the redeemed, the purpose is to preach the excellencies of God, is to proclaim to other people the excellencies of God. The emphasis here is on the fact that we as a community do that. Now we see affirmed again and again in Scripture that I as an individual and you as an individual, uh, I'm supposed to do that and you're supposed to do that, right? That is something that we do. But corporately, there's something special. There's something different. And he says, you have been saved to be a community whose purpose is to do that. The, com- the purpose of the whole community is to accomplish that. He formed us into a community of faith, not just for our own comfort, but for the purpose of proclaiming God's glory and God's saving work in our lives. And I find it fascinating that in this passage, God's design is that we may be most effective in communicating to others the excellencies, the saving work of God when we are functioning properly in a community of believers. I remember when I worked at Starbucks when I was in grad school, I was in Chicago and um, I really enjoyed it. It was a great, great job. Didn't didn't pay enough to feed a family the size mine was, but it was a great job. I really loved it. But we had this one guy named Steve who would come in. He was a Christian guy, and but he was by no means a part of any community. He, he thought uh, all churches were bad. He thought organized religion was a bunch of garbage, and he didn't need any of that, and there was something spoiling about being in church, and so he was better off on his own. And so he would, he would come in in the morning, and he would get his cup of coffee, every single morning like clockwork, get his cup of coffee and sit in the chair right by the door. And so every person that came in would get razzed by this guy sharing the gospel, so to speak, right? Which meant talking about God in a way that annoyed the people he was talking to. That's what he meant by that. And people would walk in and from my vantage point, I could see them roll their eyes. Steve's here again. I can't believe I should have come 20 minutes later and I'd have been good. Right? That's what people were thinking. They'd walk in and they would just ignore him. They'd get their stuff. They'd look at us. Can't you do anything about this? And then they'd turn around and leave. Right? And that was Steve functioning not in community. And so we brought him to our church one time. We thought this would be great. No, it wasn't great. He stormed out in the middle of service, left, gone. I, I thought, man, Steve, what's up? But uh, he, he, he could not function properly in community. He was, there was something bent in the way he saw the world and saw his faith and saw people and everything that he he wasn't able to and so you could see looking at his life he was a little off and everyone who knew him and everyone who walked into our door knew that something was a little off about steve we're supposed to be functioning in community with one another and the purpose of this community is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light and so there's a, there's a shift there when we think about the fact that he's called us to be a priesthood and a people instead of individually priests and individually people. There's a shift there that happens, and the shift is from me onto mission. 
That's challenging for me because I've said before, the world, I kind of think it revolves around me and I fight against that. I know it's not true. I know it's not biblical. I know it's sin and all that. But I still, that's my default setting is it's all about me, right? But this helps shift my thinking from me onto mission. God has saved us to give us a mission, to proclaim the excellencies. Think about those excellencies, the saving work of Christ. The fact that I was not by any means seeking God and he sought me out and he saved me and called me to himself. That is incredible. It's not that I'm the smartest guy on the block and I weighed all the evidence and figured it out and thought, well, I guess. And so, boom, I went this way and decided to be a Christian. No, it's very clear when you, when you hear about the way God saved me that he sought me out when I was by no means seeking him and he grabbed me and brought me into his kingdom and made me his own. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. Once you were not a people. Of course, they were people, but they were not a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Of course, they were people, but they were not a people. They were not unified they were kind of on their own they were sort of out there by themselves they were they were lonely they were kind of helpless and hopeless and left on their own separate from god and separate from god's community and that's where we were and that's where i was and if you're a christian that's where you were before you were a christian left alone out there separate not a people But now we are God's people. When God saved us, he saved us into a community, the community of God's people. Where we were cut off from God and his people, we are now united with both God and his people. Where we were alone, we are now surrounded with the fellowship of believers. Now we have true hope in Christ. We now have the help of the Holy Spirit within us and the help of the body of Christ around us. Not just because we joined a church or we decided we wanted to be a part of this group, but because God redeemed us and took us and plopped us into this community of faith. That's what God did. Made us a part of the community. God saved us into a community. It's like we were born into a family. And now we know the comfort and the purpose of being in that family. And so for Christians... This is what's true of us now. But I very often forget that. And I suspect I'm probably not the only one in this room who forgets that. And so how do we encourage each other? And how do we stay reminded? And how do we remember that we are not just people, but a people? And we are not just priests, but we are a priesthood. How do we do that? Well, practically here at Parkside, one way that we do it is with our Connect Group ministry. It's been called small groups. It's been called flocks. It's been called various things. It's called connect group now. And our connect group ministry doesn't, it doesn't just serve a social purpose. Hey, let's get together and have fun. Okay. It does that. We have a lot of fun. It doesn't just serve a Bible study purpose, though that of course is an excellent purpose and it serves that purpose. But one purpose that it serves is for us to remain connected with each other to be reminded that we are not just individually priests 
who live in different houses and live different lives and go about our different directions. But the fact that we are actually a priesthood together. We are in this together. We're a family. We're a body. And we at Parkside here are the local expression of that body. And so that's why we have connect groups, is to remain connected with God and one another. That's, that's why we have that. So I encourage everybody to join a connect group. And so in order to facilitate that, what we're doing is towards the end of the month, we're going to have two Sundays where we will be able to sign up. It's the, the 24th and the 31st, the last two Sundays of this month. I'm calling them sign-up Sundays. And we will have representatives from each of the connect groups will be out in uh, the lobby out there in the foyer. And we're going to have uh, an opportunity for you to sign up for a group so that we can sign up, get involved, and be involved in a group. And between now and then, we'll have opportunity for a couple of people to give testimony about how their own life has been impacted by being a member of a group. And sometimes it's a social thing. Sometimes it's, I felt alone, I was really hurt, and I was kind of disconnected and whatever. Other times, you see massive change in people's marriages. Sometimes you see massive change in other ways in people's lives because they have remained in community the way we're supposed to be and not just separate and out on their own in the world. But they're reminded again and again by the believers around them that they are a part of the body of Christ. Not just theoretically, but practically and really. And so I encourage everybody to, to join a connect group and, uh, and get involved in that and get to know some people in new ways. And there will be times when it's a little uncomfortable because you know there are some things about me I kind of wish other people really didn't know and, uh, and I didn't have to tell people. And so that's going to be a little uncomfortable. But that's exactly the place where I need to let people know that. People need to know those things. And so it, it's, not always, uh, it's not always fun and games. Sometimes it can be a little bit awkward. But it's very important and it's very productive in our Christian lives. So connect groups. If you'll flip your notes over, on the back there you will see our vision statement. It ties right into this very thing. Our vision statement. Very simply... What's our vision? Authentically connecting with God and one another. That's our vision. That's what we long to see happen. As, as a result of what we've looked at in our sermon this morning, the different passages we've looked at, at looking at the Trinity and looking at how we're, we've been made in His image and we've been saved to be a people, right? Not just saved to be individual Christians. Looking at that stuff and thinking in those terms, this is our vision authentically connecting with God and one another. And that means several things. If you look down your sheet, now this looks familiar. This, you all had this in the packet, you all who attended the membership class. You've seen this before and you've gone through this before. But I wanted to keep it in front of us because it's, it's not just a, a, a form or a piece of paper that we filled out to file away and tell you about every couple of years. This really is our vision. This really is how we will grow individually and corporately. This is how we're going to grow. So what does it mean to connect authentically with God? What's involved? I won't read all of it, but I just want to read the items there. Well, first of all, the gospel. You cannot be connected with God in any authentic kind of way without the gospel. You're on your own. You you owe a debt because of your sin, and you can't pay that debt, and you can't make it up. It's something that you can't improve upon and you can't solve. It's a problem you can't solve on your own. And so you're left disconnected with God if it weren't for him sending Jesus to pay the penalty for that sin so that we could have forgiveness and have restored relationship. We could have 
true community, authentic connection with God. So it involves the gospel. It involves evangelism. When I know God in a real way, I want to tell other people about him. When I have that kind of relationship with him, where I have been redeemed and I have been restored and I have been forgiven and I have received his grace, I want to tell other people. Why wouldn't I? So it involves evangelism. It involves devotion. It involves discipleship. And I have more, there's more explanation under each of these. It involves God's word. It involves God's word. To connect authentically with God, we have to stay rooted in his word. As soon as we close this and start ignoring it, we start wandering. It is his word that keeps us grounded. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus says. So it involves God's word. What does it mean to be authentically connected with one another? Well, it involves fellowship, true fellowship. It involves God's word. Surprise, surprise. What do you know? Growing with each other, being connected authentically with one another, centers around God's word. It involves mutual accountability. I told you there are things about myself I really don't enjoy telling other people, but I need to. And when I wanted to start running, and I was a wimp and really didn't want to start but knew I needed to, I told Al, and that's all it took. And he pestered me and pestered me till I ran. It was accountability. That's a good thing. It involves personal connection with God because we can't be authentically connected with one another in a biblical way as members of this nation or as members of this priesthood. We can't be authentically connected with each other if we are not authentically connected with God himself. Can't happen. We, we can be friends. We can encourage each other or we can love each other and things like that. But you're really still on the outside if you don't have that personal connection with God. You're not a, a member of his family in that sense. It involves evangelism. It involves personal growth. And it involves discipleship. So that's our vision statement. And it centers around these truths that we talked about today. It centers around, centers around the fact that God has redeemed us to be a people for his own possession with a purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of God. And we can best do that when we're connected to each other in this kind of way. We can best do that when we're connected to each other through connect groups, when we know each other in a more personal way. I love Sunday mornings and I love being here with you all. And you all get to look at me and I get to look at you all and it's a, it's a great time. It really is. But it's not really personal. And even if I were to set about talking to each of you individually, I wouldn't make it to all of you. There's not enough time before the service or after the service to do that. And the same is true for everyone else here. And so we need a smaller group where we can have that kind of connection. Now, if I, if I could have the guys who are going to serve communion come on up here to the, to the front, I would appreciate it. We have kind of an odd setup. I mean, I'm on a stage, I'm a little closer to you, but also the elevator.